Let's thank the choir for their work, for leading us and being a part of just what happened today. It's, it doesn't just happen. They meet regular, they rehearse, they come and they're a part and I'm grateful for the work that they have done. So over the last six weeks, we've been looking at what the scripture said was a healthy church. We based it out of the book of Acts chapter 2 where we found certain activities that we could absolutely identify that were part of that very first church and we saw that in, in their taking what Jesus had said, this is what I want the church to be and this is what I want the church to do, we saw that they were not only in close fellowship with God, but we also recognized that God was impacting, making a difference in the community around them. So what I want us to do is kind of put a wrap up, if you will, put a bow on this this series called Diagnosing a Healthy Church and actually do an introduction to our next series on the book of Nehemiah where we begin to learn about vision and tenacity and perseverance and doing the right things to be the church that God called us to be. You know, when you go into this type of series, you, you wind up in conversations. And those conversations sometimes go like this. What is our vision um, what are we going to do? How are we going to grow? How are we going to reach our community? What is God's will for our church? Will we be able to reach more people for Christ? Pastor, will we be able to overcome these financial obstacles that we have in front of us? And you know, while the question may be varied or the question may come from different angles, ultimately it comes down to one question. What is this church supposed to be? What is this church supposed to do? What is your vision for Mount Zion? And one of the things that we've always done, at least in, in, the, in my tenure here, is we've gone to the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 22, in verses 37 through 40, when Jesus was having a conversation with Pharisees and they were trying to trip him up, and they were trying to cause him to, to stumble and not give an answer or at least give an answer that, would, um, that they could throw back at him. Jesus replied to them and he said, The love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus said the church is to be a place where people come in. And collectively, we love God with everything that we have. That means we began to seek Him and say, God, show me from Your Word. Teach me what You say. God, I will deny myself to follow You. Lord, I will esteem others more highly than myself. And no matter what's going on around me, I'm going to seek to be that person, that individual that walks beside another person. But it's not only is the church supposed to be a place where we love God and we love people, but then you ask the question, well, what is the church to do? And Jesus gave us that in Matthew. Hey, Miss Francis, how are you? I see you on Facebook, and today I see you in person. I am glad you're in church today. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Boop, ADD moment. All right, what is the church to do? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. He said, therefore, 
Because I'm going to go away and because all of these things are happening, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you begin to extrapolate out of that what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to go make disciples. Be evangelistic. I want you to go into the community and tell people that I am the answer. He said, but I don't want you just to go out there and say, hey, if you trust Jesus, you won't go to hell. He said, actually, no. He said, I want you to mark them. He said, baptize them. Take them to a place that's designated and tell them that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you and I raise you up in a new life. So that when people see you, they know that you've not only trusted God to be your Savior, but now you're telling the world, I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. Yeah. That's what he's saying there is, I want you to know it. But he said, look, don't just go make them. And don't just mark them. But invest in their lives and mature them. He said, teach them. Teach them how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And to cry out to God. And then he said, I want you to teach them when they're on the mountaintop to be humble. And remember that every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord. So I walk with them. I walk beside them. You know what that means? On some days when they're weeping, I'm the tissue hander. Here, dry your eyes. When the good things happen in their lives, I celebrate with them. When they stumble... I don't kick them. I lift them up just like Aaron and her lifted the hands of Moses so that the battle in the valley could be won. Man, it's identifying. It's walking beside. It's when the world says we can't be together. No, that's when we lock arms and we play Red Rover, Red Rover. Send all your stuff right over because you will not separate us. We are walking as a people. We're identifying as a church. And we're united for the cause of Christ. Vision is important. Vision makes us keep on doing what we do when everything around us is saying, Stop, you're tired, it doesn't work, it's not today. No, vision says, I know why I was created. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. That the trumpet blows and he calls us all home. Sin would be no more. Pain would be no more. Tears would be no more. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision is a Hebrew word that means prophetic revelation. It's literally a word from the Lord. So a vision is more than a plan. It's more than an outline that says, this year I'm going to do Two things or three things. A vision is that thing that drives when everything else says quit. A vision is that thing that gives clarity when everything is blurry. A vision says keep on. It is the God-directed path that he wants us to follow. To minister to the people of South Atlanta and our state and our nation and our world. It's to impact people. So if we're going to have a vision, 
then we're going to have to spend some time in the Word. We're going to have to spend some time. Search me, God. Know me. Try me. Show me what's in us that does not please you. Show us what it is that you want us to do. Because we know that we have a task. Why is it important? When we start talking about purpose, a clear purpose builds morale. In 1 Corinthians 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I'm pleading with you by the name of Jesus. Now you got to understand that's more, hey, if you got a minute, listen to me. That's a no. I am doing everything that I can to let you know the urgency of this moment. Mamas, you know when your kids are about to go spend the weekend away? And you call them over to the side and you give them those last minute instructions. You probably have them by the arm and you're just squeezing it just a little bit tighter. Because you want them to hear everything you're about to say. Or Coach Eric, you know, you got that kid that's about to run a very important place. So you grab him by the face mask and you just kind of twist it just a little bit. Just so that head does this. Paul's got him by the face mask. And he said, I'm pleading with you in the name of Jesus. In other words, you better hear what I'm telling you because what I'm fixing to tell you is life. And he said, this is what I want you to understand, church. I am pleading with you in the name of Jesus. Speak the same. Now, Paul didn't say, I want you to walk out and be robots programmed to respond to every question. But what he did say to us is that that everything you face and every situation you come into contact with, you turn and you say to the glory of God, I will follow, I will listen, I will trust. And yes, I'm walking through a moment that's tense. Or yes, I'm walking through a moment that's this or that. But I will tell you, my eyes are fixed on Jesus. He's the author of my faith. He's the finisher of my faith. He is the keeper of all that I have entrusted to Him. And I may be in this moment, but let me tell you this. I will seek Jesus. And I will do the very best that I can to seek Jesus with those that He's affiliated with me with those that he's made me and put me into community with and we will keep on working even when it seems hard to understand Paul says I plead with you to do this to seek and have the same voice he says I want you to be joined together so that there's no division among you and he says I want you to do it in mind Then he says, I want you to do it in judgment. If our purpose is unclear, our morale will be low. Watch the news. Watch the news. When we don't understand our purpose, our morale goes down. And do you know what I do when I think you don't understand me? I do something to get your attention. I'm either going to stomp my foot. I'll huff, I'll react, but I'm there. And Paul says, we want to be on 
point. We want to be on purpose. I watched yesterday in TJ Maxx. This boy, probably about 16 years old, wanted a pair of uh, athletic pants. And they were um, the kind that are kind of baggy up top and they're kind of tight in the legs. And his mama didn't like them. She said, they don't help your backside. I was like, that's too much for me, but I get it. Mama had an opinion. She said, those don't fit well. I don't like what they do. And the, and the young man stomped his foot and he said, Mom, you're just not with it. You don't know what the style is. And the mom turned to me and mouthed, help me out. <laughs> but here's the problem. The boy was absolutely right. The, st- the pants that the young man had picked out were the pants that Davis had on when we saw him Friday. Um, and if you go to pretty much any place that there's teenagers wearing athletic clothes, they were it. And I said, Mom, I'm sorry, he's on point. And the son, I, I know he wanted to walk over and hug me. He didn't. He kept it together. But the mom stopped then and listened. He said, she said, tell me why you want the pants. Because it wasn't a price issue. It wasn't a quality issue. It was merely they were on a different page. And they stopped right there in front of where you get your little tag to tell them how many items you have before you go in the dressing room at TJ Maxx. And they had a conversation. And actually, the little boy said, you know what, Mom? I'm willing not to. And Mom said, well, you know what? I'm willing to. And he, he let her have the last word, and they walked out with the pants. <laughs> but here's the thing. It was communication. It was a conversation. And two people who were this far apart came together. Now, there was some compromise in that thing. But they had a purpose, and there was a morale. They walked out of there both feeling good. But let me tell you, not only is it important to have a clear purpose because it builds morale, but a clear purpose also reduces frustration. It defines for us what we will do, but it also defines for us what we will not do. And, and, and let me tell you, we live in a culture right now that needs to define as much of what it won't do It's what it will do. Your children need to know what you will do as a parent and what you won't do as a parent. Our community needs to know what we will do and what we won't do. As a church, there's a hundred thousand good ideas that we can bring to the table. But if we can get so busy doing all of them that we accomplish nothing. We need to be clearly defined who we are as Mount Zion Baptist Church. We are defined by we want to do things that make disciples. We want to be defined by things that mark disciples. We want to be defined by things that mature disciples. Now in that we sit and we talk and we plan and we come up with solutions. But it builds morale. It reduces frustration. It allows for concentration. I remember as a kid the very first time that my mom had a magnifying glass and she said, did you know you could start a fire with a magnifying glass? That is not what you teach a kid with ADHD, by the way. Because I burned up a whole lot of stuff. But she said, watch this. And we knelt down in the yard and she focused that magnifying glass onto a piece of grass and it began to smoke and to smolder. 
that all that light had been there the whole time. But when that light became focused, that light started a fire. Yeah, it allows for concentration. A focused church will have a greater impact than one that does not know where it's going. And you know, sometimes that focus means that I don't come to church today saying, well, they didn't sing the song I wanted. Or he didn't preach the message I wanted. Or my life group was not this, or my life group was not that. But it walks in and says, Father, from the time that my wheels touched that property, would you use me to help make a disciple? Would you use me to help mark a disciple? Would you use me to help mature one? And God, if I've got to give up what I want, so that one more person can come to know you. Or one more person can clear one more hurdle. Then God I have absolutely been what you wanted me to be in your kingdom that day. Yesterday my phone went off and I looked down and it said. Hey Rolls over at um, Food Depot at 675 and um, 42. And he's met a man that needs some help. I can't get to him because I'm sitting under the hairdryer. Would you give him a call? Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, I was like, oh, I don't want to call Raul right now. But we did. We had a conversation. And Raul had met somebody in the community that needed help. And he didn't know exactly how to help him, so he called where he thought he could get help. And ultimately, we were able to point that man to a place that would give him security, hygiene, and food. Now, I don't know if he made it there or not. But it was out in the community making and having a purpose. It puts concentration. But you know, clear purpose not only builds morale and reduces frustration and allows for concentration, but it attracts cooperation. People want to join a church that knows where it's going. When we clearly communicate our destination, people are eager to get on board. One of the things that we tell people the young men that show up at Open Gym every time, if not every time, very regularly. We always tell them basketball is a tool. Basketball is a tool for us to build a relationship with you, to introduce you to the person of Jesus Christ, to help you to become a young man that can know God and honor God and lead a family towards God. So they know that. So they walk in the door understanding that, yes, we're going to get to play basketball. But while we're here playing basketball, we know that somebody is going to sit down and talk to us about what it means to be a man of God. And as they understand that, as that is communicated, it's cooperation. And now what we find is young men who came in not knowing what to do, will now stand up and lead the whole group in prayer that everybody in that room would come to know God. It attracts cooperation. Used to, we'd have to say, hey, if, you, if a bad word slips one time, that's okay. If it slips several times, that's a habit. We're not going to have it. And we had to police it. Now, they police it. They say, hey, wait a minute. Preach don't like that. 
We're in the church. Remember, it attracts cooperation. The same thing is true in my life group. The same thing is true in anything I do, discipleship, a work day, you name it, whatever we're talking about. When we have a clear purpose, people begin to cooperate because they know not only where we're going, but they also know that we want to be with them beside, we want to have them beside us because what? The cord of three strands is not easily broken, right? We stand tall together. A clear purpose assists in evaluation. It helps us to answer the question, what are we doing and how are we doing it? And are we doing what God intends for us to do? The worship ministry has just recently gone through an intense time of evaluation. Should we go this way or should we go that way? And because they were able to sit down and define purpose, now they can measure and say, are we doing what God called us to do? Life groups with Pastor Russell are doing that right now. Where do we need to go? They're meeting twice a month asking hard questions about how to get people involved, how to make a difference in people's lives. You remember in this series, we've had a slide up each time that said, by his command, Jesus put the church into people business. And because people are a business, we must always ask the question, how is business? Peter Drucker, a church growth expert, said the church should always ask this question. What is our business and how is business? Just because we unlock the door. And people walk in on any given Sunday. It does not mean that we have been successful. We must ask, did we accomplish our purpose? Have we done what we gathered to do? Do we always have one or two empty seats for that person we don't know when they walk in to sit down? For those people in our group that are disconnected, have we done something this week to connect with them? Have we reached beyond? Have we called? Have we been concerned? Have we celebrated? Have we cried? Have we connected? Have we pointed people that the answer is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone? told you that we base this on Acts chapter 2. Now Acts chapter 2 has a lot in it and there's no way for us to go through all of it today. But I will tell you that just in a quick summary and a quick breakdown that if you go to Acts chapter 2 and you can follow me in your outline that when we see this church being born, when we see this church being made into something on that day of Pentecost, the first thing that you would find about this tongue is that they had cloven tongues. Now, cloven tongues talks about hooves that are split, but it means this language understanding, it means this, that this first church had a group of people who spoke different languages, and by the power of the Holy Spirit on that day, each one heard and each one understood in their own language. In other words, they were able to know what the Spirit of God wanted them to do, and so he communicated to them in a way that they would understand it. But not only did this church gather and were there a group of people there that heard it in their own language, but there was a crowd of people, and the crowd of people was amazed. They were amazed at what was going on around them. They were amazed by the miracle. But the miracle led to confusion in verses 12 and 13. And they began to mock them, and they began to say, Surely all these people 
acting this way must have hit the bottle before they came to the square to hear what was going on. And they were saying, they're drunk. They can't be of God. This can't be something that's amazing. And so it says in verses 14 to 21 that Peter stood up and he offered clarification. He defended them, pointing out that they were not drunk. He said, it's just 6 o'clock in the morning. Surely they're not drunk by this time. And he clarifies for them. And then when he clarifies, he offers a condemnation in verses um, 22. He said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said this. He clarified it. He gave them an understanding. He offered a condemnation of their thing. And then not only do we see that, but we see a twofold conclusion. Peter differentiated between this man that was David and this man was Jesus. And he said, you know what? If you go to where they buried David, he's still there. But if you go to where they buried Jesus, he's not there. He rose again by the power of God, by God's design before the beginning of time. God said, this is what's going to happen. And then in verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? You see, you see something happening here. There's a crowd of people that have gathered. And in the middle of that crowd of people that gathered, God showed up. And God began to speak. And the people didn't understand exactly what was going on. So they were open to their own interpretation. And they said, in my interpretation, either a miracle happened or they're drunk. And God appointed Peter to stand up and say to them in the middle of this confusion, no, they're not drunk. God's here and this is what God has said. And this man, Jesus, that we're all trying to understand, he was appointed by God to live and to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, to be buried in a tomb and to rise again. And yes, you had a part in it, but it was God's plan. And when he began to offer to them that clarification and when the Spirit of God had touched the lives of people, then they said, Well, then tell me, what should I do? And then in verse 38, Peter begins to offer to them this command. And Peter replied, repent. Can I tell you repent is an ugly word today? Because repent means you have to change. Repent means you need to do it God's way, not your way. And we live in a world that says, if it makes you happy, do it. If it feels good, do it. I don't want to offend you, so you just keep on doing what you do. And God says, I'm sorry, that's not how I work. 
God says, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But it does start with confession. God, I've done it my way. I'm sorry. God, today I choose to do it your way. God, I want to turn from what I've been to become what you want me to be. And I understand you have that right because you sent the one without sin to become sin so that the one with sin no longer was under the penalty of sin. And I now give you new life. Peter said, repent. Let's make a disciple. Be baptized. That's mark a disciple, right? And every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's maturing a disciple. He said, this is what happens when that goes on. He says, I'm teaching you something. That's discipleship. There's a command. But then in verse 40, he offers you a challenge. He says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In other words, there's something going on that you're a part of that you don't need to be a part of. And the way that you get set free from it is for you to repent Be baptized and to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. Guys, that's the purpose of the church. We've got to teach truth. Even when truth isn't popular, you've got to teach it. Even when unity is hard, we've got to walk it. And even when all this stuff is going on around us, we've got to keep living. And even when we don't agree, we've got to be united. See, unity is not uniformity, and I know that's been said a lot of times in churches. Unity says no matter what, we're going to walk arm in arm. Uniformity says we're going to all say the same thing, dress the same way, look the same way. I was amazed when Davis was getting enrolled at the University of Georgia, and Davis and Gail and I were there, and they were having what is known in college as Rush Week. And this particular spot that we were walking were a lot of young girls who were pledging to sororities. And it was like um, an unbelievable display of same hairstyle, same look, same dress, same behavior. I thought, now that's uniformity. And I quickly decided I didn't like uniformity. But I do like unity. And as a church... We must always strive to be united. Because after he entered, issued that, I want you to see in verse 41, this right here. Those who accepted his message. In other words, they trusted Christ. They were baptized. They were marked. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's the birth of the church. That is where Jesus said, and when he made the statement, and upon this rock I will build my church, the confession that Jesus, you are the Christ, this is where he started it. And then once this group of people began to be assembled and they had a purpose and they knew now that they were different than they had been, they began to adopt certain behaviors. And I want you to look at those as a form of recap today. What were the activities? First of all, we see discipleship. 
That's what Pastor Russell started this series off with, talking about discipleship maturity. It says, they, who are the they? They are the ones, the 3,000 that accepted the message. They were the ones who repented and were baptized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? They were teaching the Word of God. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As a congregation, we're not only called to reach people, but to teach them, to help them mature. It's our job to help new believers become more like Christ in their feelings, their thoughts, their actions. This is why we have life groups. This is why we gather to worship. Let me encourage you. As a member, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, will you get connected to a group, a life group? They meet on a lot of different times. You can meet on Sunday night. You can meet on Wednesday night. You can meet on Wednesday morning. Um, there are special activities that you can be a part of. Today you're going to be told about a ladies' retreat that's coming up. In just a few short weeks, you're going, men, you're going to be invited to go and be a part of a corporate worship time with other men. Moments for discipleship where you can get out of the large group into a small group and be motivated, encouraged, and taught how to walk and to be a follower of Christ. Discipleship is important. Loose connection will not give you what you need. Oftentimes, people who call like even roll your friend yesterday, people who call and they'll say, hey, can the church help me? And the first question, if not the first question, one of the first questions is, do you have a church? Do you have a group of people that you assemble with? Do you have a place that you belong and that you are connected to that you can call on and ask for help? And you know what the answer is almost 100% of the time. Not almost, it is 100% of the time. No, I'm not connected. And they hit that moment of need disconnected and they have to call on people that don't know them who, have not, who are not able to walk beside them. And really the assistance and the opportunity to help is very limited. And we all need each other because we're going to hit a spot where we've got to call out. So we need discipleship. We need to be that church. It says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word. But not only do we see that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, we see that they were praying. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Do you have a prayer life? Do you have a designated time or place or moment? Is there a part of your day where you pause to bow your head, bend your knee, to lay yourself out before God and say, Father, in my strength it won't happen, but in yours I'm more than a conqueror. God, show me how to be about your purpose. God, show me how to love your people. God, show me how to think right thoughts. God, give me the strength to overcome what so easily entangles me. God, help me. God, help me. God, show me who you are. God, on the day of Pentecost, you took people who were just a crowd and you poured your Holy Spirit on them. And those people went from not in a relationship to in a relationship with you. God, show me how to deepen my faith and to walk with you more. 
God, when I'm ready to throw in the towel, God, give me tenacity. Prayer acknowledges our need for God and we make our request to God. It means by, it's the means by which we call on the power of God. Can I tell you that right now in the life of our church, we're in that place where we've got to call on the power of God? Father, in ourselves, we can't do it. But God, you have parted the seas. God, you have brought manna out of heaven. You brought water out of a rock. God, you made the lame walk. That's what they do, right? That's, that's what they do. That's what they want to do, and he made it happen. Yes, he does. And he made the dead live. He made the sick well. God, you've done the miracles, and you tell me that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, what you did back there, you want to do right now. God, we want to align with you so that we know your purpose. God, here we are, and we're calling on you. We're crying out. So we see in this early church, we didn't just make these things up. There's in the scripture, that's what the church did. They were discipled, they were praying, but not only with that, they were fellowshipping. Let's go back to that verse 42. They devoted themselves to teaching. And after they had a time to sit down and learn, they sat down and ate. They hung out together. You see, the teaching's important, but it's in the fellowship that we build relationships. It's where we learn somebody's hurting. It's where we learn through a text that somebody's grandchild is in the hospital. It's through that that we learn that maybe a person who's over an organization is struggling. And they're saying, walk beside me, walk with me. In our moment of need, it's that place that we can go. Remember the illustration I gave you about the burning ember? It was inside the fire and it was glowing red. And the man reached in and he took it out and he set it off to the side. And pretty soon that which was burning hot all of a sudden wasn't burning anymore. It was cold. But you take that cold ember and you put it back in the fire and it burns red again. Can I tell you this? That you cannot walk life alone. You cannot. You can do it for a minute, but pretty quick, you're going to have to call on people, call on God. You need that fellowship. Again, that's why we have life groups. That's why we have choir. That's why we have activities and church-wide things that we get involved with because we need each other. But look at this. These people were not only discipling each other and praying for each other and fellowshipping with each other but they were also doing ministry and missions look at verse 45 it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need and in the last part of verse 46 it says every day they continued to meet and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts it sounds like they had a party but listen to me. They were having a party. But let me tell you why they had to have the party. Because these were Jewish people. Who when they decided to become a follower of Christ. Lost everything they had from their standing in the community. To the possessions and the jobs that they held. They didn't eat just because. Come together to eat just because they wanted to hang out. They knew they couldn't make it if they didn't have each other. So they sold what they had. So that anybody who had decided to become a follower of Christ. Could walk together. Be taken care of. 
That's the beauty of a church. That's the beauty of fellowship. We walk beside each other. There's some amazing stories in our history of soldiers who put themselves in the middle of harm's way to run back into the moments of fierce battle to rescue a fallen brother or sister. And in the church, man, there's a battle raging. And we need to be willing to put ourselves into the battle to rescue people who are perishing. Because I do promise you, Satan is active and alive and he's doing everything he can to pull us away. There's ministry, there's missions. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. There was worship. The church exists to worship God. It does not matter if we are by ourselves with a small group or in a crowd of a thousand. We are the church and we need to express ourselves through worship. Matthew 4.10 says, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him and Him only. We don't need to get so busy working for God that we forget to stop and worship God. You say, well, what is worship? Is it really that 15, 30, 20 minutes before the preaching? Yes, that's worship. But that is a particular type of worship. It is a worship through music. But there can be worship through service. There can be worship through giving. There can be worship through assisting. There can be worship through walking through my day and meeting people and helping them when I meet them on the road. Worship are those things that I do and I dedicate it to God. And I say, for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the glory of your name, I'm doing this. And God says, worship me. Worship me. We need to daily practice worship. We practice worship when we do these other things that this church did. When we disciple, when we fellowship, when we minister, when we pray. When we hang out together. The church was involved in evangelism. If we went back to verse 41, it would say those who accepted his message were baptized. You see, for them to accept it, somebody had to tell it. And that's evangelism. It's crossing the barriers to tell people who don't know that there is one who does know who wants to step into their life and give them meaning and purpose and hope and provision and walk beside them. Verse 47 If you drop down there, it says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were in the midst of it. We're ambassadors. Our mission is to evangelize. Evangelism is more than a responsibility. Do you understand evangelism is a privilege? We're invited to be a part of bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as you go, where you are, building the relationships with individuals. To walk beside them. And in walking beside them, you tell them Jesus is the answer. I'm going to tell you if God gave you a platform, He gave you that platform to exalt Him. To let people know that there is one. His name is Christ. So what does all that mean? What are the dimensions of the church? Churches grow deeper through discipleship. 
Churches grow stronger through prayer. Churches grow closer through fellowship. Churches grow broader through missions. Churches grow richer through worship. And churches grow larger through evangelism. Mount Zion, that's a checklist. You say, well, what do I pray? How do I pray for my church? There's six things that if you will pray, God, your will be done. God, show us how to buy into this. God, show us how to work towards this, to what to say yes to and what not to say yes to. I'm amazed, and I would encourage you on any Wednesday night, when you leave your discipleship group, if you come, and if you don't, then about 7.30, I encourage you to drive by the ark, walk inside the gym. There will be anywhere from 30 to 50. Is that a fair estimate 30 to 50 maybe sometimes more young men and young women who live in our community who we may not ever meet their parents who are coming in and they they have to sit for bible study they're told about who Jesus is and then they hang out and you would be amazed at how much they enjoy and appreciate somebody taking the time to say hey how are you you say, oh, I'm this age, or I'm this, or I'm that. No, they don't care. You're an adult, and you said you matter enough for me to stop and talk to you. I'm telling you guys, there are opportunities all around us. Would you be the next one to buy in, to own it, to step up? could be the next life that was saved. What a privilege we have to serve the one who has done it all. He doesn't say do it. He just says join me in what I've already done and I will give you the power to make it happen. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more or to contribute through online giving, please visit www.mzbc.org. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear more, simply click on the Sermons tab or subscribe to the Simple Truth Podcast through iTunes. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed. 